What would life be like without music? Can you imagine? And not just in times of worship like this, but in any time, times of living life to the full. And, and as we've been reminded, songs of summer, what would summer be like without the ability to roll down the windows on a beautiful day and listen to music pumping up the jams as you're riding down the, the road? How many of you do that? Yeah, see, I figured a lot of you, some of you we would never suspect do that. You do that all the time, don't you? Or you're at home and you just turn up the music, you just start dancing while you're cleaning the house or maybe cleaning up the kitchen or, or maybe it's, it's just that you can't imagine life without music because you love music so much and you listen to it constantly. And there's so many different genres of music that kind of go to all styles of taste and, and, and loves and you know, one of the things, though, that music accomplishes beyond having lots of different styles is it also has the ability to express pain. Do you know what I mean by that? That the lyrics of a song, when we go through times of trial or difficulty or hurt, a song can make all the difference. And maybe you can think back when you experienced your first heartache or first breakup, maybe back in high school, and, and the pain that you went through. And, and maybe there was those, those times like, how do you get through it? Well, you had a song, and a song, and even now, maybe it comes on the radio, and you're like, I remember those days, because that song can take you right back to that moment. And some of those songs in dealing with pain have an ability to also kind of maybe balance the pain with, what if I could just seek retribution for the pain that's been caused to me? Um, I did an experiment this week. I sent out an email uh, to our staff asking them um, what song comes to mind when you think of a song that not only expresses deep pain, but then expresses a desire to get even with the person who hurt you. And I got several responses, quite a few actually, and the winning response was a Carrie Underwood song, Before He Cheats is the name of it. And here's how the chorus goes. I'm going to read these words to you to get an idea of this powerful lyric. And he don't know that I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. It feels so good to get even. And, and that's a genre of music, you might say. It's a way of expressing pain and, and a desire to get even. It's, it's intrinsic to being a human, a fallen, broken person who's been hurt and wrongfully hurt to want to get even and seek retribution. It's also what makes it kind of perplexing because we don't necessarily connect that response with God's Word. And yet, if you were paying attention to the words that were read just a few moments ago from Psalm 109, those words actually sounded a lot like that Carrie Underwood song. They were words of retribution. They were words of wishing terrible things on someone who had hurt the psalmist, David. And like, how do we rationalize that? How do we make sense of this? And I, I want to introduce you to a, a genre of, of psalms. We've been learning that there are several books within the book of Psalms. Pastor Steve introduced that. We've been learning more about different songs of praise or a song of ascent. Pastor John taught us about that last week. But there's also another genre of psalms, uh, and it's a fancy word. It goes like this. They are called imprecatory psalms. I'll say that again, imprecatory 
Psalms. Just because it's early, it's, it's a Sunday, I, I just love for you to engage with me. Could you repeat that word with me? Imprecatory. How many of you know that word? Tons of you. Well, at least two of you anyway. Um, it's not a word that comes up in conversation very often. Um, in fact, it's more of a word used by Bible scholars to describe this genre. And it's a word that literally means this, psalms of cursing. So if you ever thought, is the Bible filled with cursing? Certainly not. Well, guess what? We have some psalms that are psalms of cursing. Um, here's a couple examples of them. Let's, let's put them on the screen. Um, Psalm 58, verse 6. How about these words? Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. That's an ugly visual. Have you ever broken a tooth? Not a fun experience. Now imagine wishing that on someone else who's hurt you. Um, it's a cursing psalm. Psalm 58, verse 6 is a, known as an imprecatory example. How about uh, Psalm 137, verse 8? Happy is he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Aren't you glad you're in worship today? This is discouraging. This is ugly. This is painful. Like, who would say that kind of thing? Who would wish that kind of harm on someone? They're imprecatory psalms of cursing and wishing nothing but the worst on your enemy. How do you jive that with God's Word? How does that make sense that this would even be found in God's Word? How about uh, what we read just a few moments ago, Psalm 109, which is known as one of the greatest examples of an imprecatory, cursing-based psalm. In fact, scholars have counted up close to 24 times where David the psalmist wishes harm on his enemy. And here's some examples of that. Um, May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. These are rough words, which sing financial harm and physical harm and and spiritual harm. Not only that, wishing harm on an enemy's children. Like, this is heartless. Who says that kind of thing? might think that kind of thing, but who says that kind of thing? And yet here it is, in God's Word of all places. Now, how how do we make sense of this? I mean, especially since we also read in the Gospel, here's Jesus saying, you've heard it said, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Love my enemy? Pray for my enemy? That makes no sense, but yet it makes a little more sense than what we're used to hearing from Scripture that is counterintuitive, countercultural, that it's not about getting vengeance and and getting even with someone. It's it's about turning to God and and actually loving the unlovable and loving someone who's hurt us. So if that's really the way of Jesus, how do we figure out why the Psalms are here? Uh, Well, imprecatory Psalms are an interesting thing. Even C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author, had a struggle with with imprecatory psalms. In fact, in regard to Psalm 109, he once wrote these words. He says, it's an unabashed hymn of hate. That's what he referred to it as. He struggled with it too. You know, other Christian authors and, and scholars through the years have said, but what if we do a deep dive into these words? And, and the more we do so, maybe we find that there is a place for them in the Scripture when we look at Scripture as a whole. Uh, I mean, certainly... 
imprecatory language is something that is common to all of us, whether we've said it, we've thought it. And is there room in the Psalms for this kind of language that are raw and real and honest when it comes to the fact that these are lyrics to songs that are really prayers to Almighty God? It wouldn't be the first time that an imprecatory thought made its way into God's church. Let me give you an example. And uh, it's even a, a hymn that we sang a little bit ago, and, and it goes kind of like this. Let's sing this together. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curve those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your Son and bring to naught all he has done. Beautiful, right? Great truth. Um, the thing is, is that's not how that hymn was originally written. It had very different words back in 1541 when Martin Luther, the great reformer, penned the words of this hymn. They actually looked very different. They were imprecatory in nature. Let me show you what they originally looked like. Of course, they were in German, but here's what it it said. Lord, keep us in your word and work. Restrain. That sounds good. The murderous Pope and Turk who fain would tear from off thy throne Christ Jesus, thy beloved Son, um, I can't imagine why we would have changed those words. Can you? Come on now. Please, don't, I don't want you to send an email. No. What was going on? Let's get some context to this. You may remember uh, the Catholic Church at the time uh, wanted Luther dead as a heretic. That was part of the reality of the Reformation and, and standing up for biblical truth. And so uh, here he was speaking an imprecatory thought toward the Pope. Also at the same time, Um, Vienna was on the verge of being attacked uh, by Muslim Turks that were coming in to invade. And and so that was part of context of these words being penned. Now granted, we changed those words. They they don't quite fit in our hymnal anymore and in our language in the same kind of way that they did in context in Luther's day. That language was changed. Uh, It's a great hymn and it's been improved to fit our day in our age and every day and age, rightly so. So you might say, well, why don't we just do that to the imprecatory psalms? They just seem kind of harsh. They seem kind of rude, and certainly they were probably written in context. Are they really something that belongs in the Scripture? I mean, can't we just kind of make them sound a little nicer? And and again, before you send me emails, I'm not actually suggesting we do that at all. We don't change God's Word. And not only that, God's Word is truth, and God's Word is inspired. And we're actually reminded of that when it comes to Psalm 109. Um, let me read this verse, verse 8 of Psalm 109. It says this, David writes, May his days be few. He's speaking of his enemy. May another take his place of leadership. Psalm 109. These words are actually quoted again later in the New Testament following the death and resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. And as the disciples are grappling with now what, what do we do to deal with the fact that Judas is no longer with us. And Peter quotes Psalm 109, verse 8. He quotes that, that may another take his place of leadership. He quotes that. And in context of that quote, he says, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, read that with me, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. 
Now, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? And that's a wonderful biblical understanding of how we go about Bible study. And here you have Scripture saying, and Peter making this quote, he says, the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. What Peter's clarifying to all of us is that just like Paul would write elsewhere, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. That God's Word isn't just a a document we can slash and, and change things whenever we want and make it sound better to our context, but to realize that all Scripture is written of the Holy Spirit. And here you have context. And then we say, we got to grapple with this. Like, okay, that was in reference to Judas. Is there anything else that we can learn from Psalm 109? It makes it sound like we should just seek retribution and be angry people. Is that what God's Word is calling us to today? Well, the answer I hope you understand is no. We're going to see that play out. At least I pray we do. Um, Let's look at some examples because context really does matter when we look at Psalm 109. Um, And and even before we do that again, let's look back at that one verse I quoted from Psalm 137. Let me give you a little more context to the one about dashing infants against stones. How about Psalm 137, verse 9? Here's, Here's more context. O daughter of Babylon... Doomed to destruction. Happy is he who repays you. What's it say? For what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. See, the psalmist here is, is not just seeking harm on an enemy for the sake of being mean and angry and, and vengeful. There's a context to that anger and a righteous anger and that context is what he's declaring is something that's already happened to them, to him personally. Because when, the Babylons, when Babylon attacked, they actually did that to infants in this grotesque, terrible, atrocious thing of injustice that children were hurt and harmed and killed. And in the midst of that broken reality and the calling out of a soul, it says, may it not be, this is not right. May it be that way to my enemy as well. And if you say, well, isn't that unchristian? That's not fitting of a believer. Well, let's be honest with ourselves. If you've ever been in the midst of terrible pain, it's a natural thing to call out wanting retribution, isn't it? And let it be said too here today, if your life has been blessed and you've never experienced anything painful, you've never been hurt, you've never been wrongfully accused, or you've never experienced injustice, you probably have no context for this. You'd say, well, why would anybody ever respond that way? But for those that have, it makes sense to call out in that depth of despair. Look at what my, uh, my friend uh, Scott, uh, Scott Christensen's a dear friend of mine. He's a pastor out in, in California. And I, I heard him share something on imprecatory psalms uh, some years ago. And, and my favorite quote in what he shared is, is this. He said, the imprecatory psalms are not for the blessed. They are for the broken. They were written by and written for people who have been victims of terrible injustice and horrendous evil. People whose lives have been so scarred that they will never be the same. They are for the hopeless and the despairing. It starts to make sense a little more, doesn't it? That when you're in that place of the depth of the soul that is crying out in pain and anguish and injustice, How comforting is it to know that that experience of humanity is not foreign to God's inspired word? 
but that God's word would affirm that that is understandably a reaction we may face in this broken, fallen world. We may call out wanting something to be done. We want justice to be served. And certainly in our day and age, in a calling out for justice, it's understandable. We see that, a calling out for justice in the midst of injustice. And there's a lot of built-up pain in years and years of oppression and those responses. And then the retaliation in response to that. And, and we see that playing out in our community, in our culture, in our world, in our, in our nation. A lot of division based on that kind of deep, dark, painful hurt of the past. And yet Scripture would affirm, you know, there's a place to call out in that. But again, context is important, and especially not just the context of where that pain is coming from in response to what that context is, but it's important now in the context of Scripture to understand what is a godly motivation to give that kind of response. I love how in Psalm 109, the context for David's response here, let's go to verses 1 and and verse 4. He says, O God whom I praise, do not remain silent. He's calling out that the psalm isn't about him just walking down the street ranting at the world, but rather it's in a context of prayer, a context of going before God who he still recognizes is on his throne, God who is in charge, God who has the power to act in this broken world. And he's seeking his help from Almighty God and saying, do not remain silent. He says, in return for my friendship, they accused me, but I am a man of prayer. What he's laying out here is not that he's perfect, but that he's seeking as a man who is faithful and seeking God's help in prayer, realizing that prayer is an ultimate reaction to an inability to act on your own, an inability to do anything about it. It's a helpless realization. That's what prayer is. It's a dependence on one who can And that's what prayer is, is a dependence on God in His almighty power to act justly and act in His own way according to His will. The context for Psalm 109 is David calling out to God to act, not David saying, I'm going to go take matters into my own hands to seek retribution. That's very different. It's a very different place than calling out from your pain and seeking God's help in the midst of that. It's a healthier thing, as you imagine. But not only that, he goes on, Psalm 109, 20 to 21, he says, this, may, the, may this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. But notice how he recenters his thoughts on that. He says, but you, sovereign Lord, help me for your namesake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Here you have that woundedness, that brokenness, that that reality that David is facing, and he's turning back to God, help me in the midst of this. For your name's sake, Lord, and and ultimately David's concern is, if he, as a man of God's own heart, and and one who is walking with the title of one who is a, a follower of Yahweh, and he's being pushed down and and being falsely accused, what David is getting at is, what's this doing to your name, Almighty God? And may your name be praised. Act for the sake of your name, the name that I bear as, as a child of God, ultimately. Puts it in better context, doesn't it? 
And as you face trials and and setbacks and injustice in your world, maybe you've been falsely accused, maybe you've been been, uh, written up on charges at work for something, or maybe you've gone through a a terrible family relational breakdown or a divorce and and accusations that were flailing even in a court, and and, and maybe it's been accusations from an ex-friend who said, you did this or you said that, but, 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 but I didn't. And the pain of those places of hurt and anguish in a fallen world, where do we go with it? And our God says, go to meet with it. I'm the answer. I'm a God who not only in due time will answer with justice, but I'm also a God who reminds you that I also bring healing even in the midst of injustice. I love how Psalm 109 verse 25 says this, right? I am an object of scorn to my accuser, David says. When they see me, they shake their heads. And you ask yourself, does that ever appear anywhere else in Scripture? And of course, it it does. Because there's another one who experienced that very thing of crowds shaking their heads. And it fast forwards us to the resurrection, I'm sorry, to the crucifixion of Jesus as those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Jesus, who unjustly went the way of suffering and yet willingly went that way because he knew in this world there would be injustice. He knew in this world there'd be brokenness and pain and setbacks and overwhelming despair. And yet he faces the brunt of that. And it's one of those moments where we got to ask ourselves, and how did Jesus deal with that? As our Savior and as our Lord, the one who has called us by name, the one who invites us through faith in the calling in our baptism as treasured children of God, to follow Him. What does it look like then in a broken, unjust world to follow? Well, Peter would recall that event, and he put it in this kind of context, and he's inspired to write these words, 1 Peter 2, verses 23 to 24. He says, when, when they hurled insults at Him, that is Jesus, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Read that with me. By his wounds, we have been healed. It's been striking me a lot in in our broken, fallen world in the call out for justice and how many times We've seen it play out in the court of law where maybe all the accusations are played out in a court and and the ruling is brought down by a jury and that ruling is just. But how many times even when that ruling comes down and a penalty is paid by the one who who had brought about that injustice, how many times that doesn't necessarily bring healing for anybody? It brings justice, yes. But a heart that is troubled and angry and vengeful, often is not necessarily changed in that moment. That isn't healed. Something greater is needed in order for healing to occur, and that is forgiveness. 
And as we've been reminded over these weeks and we've been dwelling on through God's word in the midst of all we're facing, we really do believe this. The church is that kind of hope because the church brings the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who faced injustice willingly, the one who went that way of a cross to die for the sin and brokenness of our world, and a God who then releases us forgiven and set free as people to lead the charge on what it looks like to bring about love and reconciliation in this world. It's never going to be found in politics. It's never going to be found in a court of law. It's going to be found when God's people who have been given the gospel, the love of Jesus, share it and live it and proclaim it. So what do you think? Is there a place for the imprecatory Psalms or should they be taken out of the Bible? Well, I hope there's a resounding let's keep them because God connects with us as his people there and gives us hope even truth in Jesus. We praise him for that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you, as we study these lyrics of songs inspired and written by David, so may they resonate with us today too. In the face of injustices, in the face of accusations, in the face of pain and struggle, We are people who live in a broken world and our human response is to want to retaliate, but may it not be. May we instead be people who seek you and the justice that you alone bring in due time. As we cling to your promises in your presence and as we cling to a God who acts mercifully in, in a Savior Jesus who in our place is people who often have been on the other side of that injustice causing it for others. Yet you loved us And you went the way of the cross to face that injustice on our behalf. Lord, teach us how that can change our mindset and our heart set. To be loving and merciful. As we are honest with you with our need for for renewal here today. So we thank you for your word. And the answer that that word brings on what you have done. As you bring healing here today. Lord, thank you for that gift is your people today, now, and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.